Well, I'm, good morning. I'm, I'm really going to hit the ground running here um, because actually, as Neil said, we're kind of mid-message. Um, God and money, Neil spoke last week, um, focusing more on the who and why of giving. And I've got the task today of focusing more on the how and what we give. Um, so the point is really, you've got to take the two messages together. And if you missed last week, if you weren't here, you couldn't hear it, please do, please do listen to it. Please, it's on the website. Please do download it and listen to it, because it sets a really important context, what Neil brought last week, for what I guess today is going to be maybe a more practical message, maybe a more direct uh, message that I'm giving today. And it's going to culminate, as Neil said, in a giving challenge for all of us in the church, um, an invitation to take part in a challenge over the next three months, a very practical outworking of everything that we're saying, and kind of a chance to immediately apply what we're teaching. So, fasten your seatbelts, buckle up, God and money, part two. Randy Alcorn says, if Christ is not Lord over our money and possessions, then he is not our Lord. Talk about going straight in there, eh? If, he, if Christ is not Lord over our money and possessions, then he is not our Lord. Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money, or God and mammon. And mammon is the word which really captures the, the whole concept of greed and materialism that surrounds the, the love of money. It's money itself is not a problem. It's the love of money. And um, Jesus knows how easily we get entrapped by that. I mean, Jesus spoke a lot about money. If we spoke as much about money as Jesus did, it would be one in every three Sundays. He spoke a lot about it because he knows how easily we get entrapped by materialism and the love of money, how easily we can make that our master and we can become a slave to it. So personally, I distinctly remember a moment where I really crossed the threshold and gave myself to materialism when I was at university. I was at the University of Bath, but I was in Bristol one day shopping with some friends and I saw a pair of trainers in a shop that I really liked and I really wanted. I knew I had no money in my bank account. I'd done a pretty good job up to then, actually. This was near the end of my first year. I hadn't been in overdraft. I'd done a good job, actually, of managing my money. But I saw this pair of trainers. I knew I had no money. I also knew I had this piece of plastic, which meant I could have them. I also knew, as a student, I got a free overdraft. So it kind of felt like I had lots of money. And I bought these trainers, and I went into overdraft. And it was like crossing a threshold for me, because from that moment on, I was never out of overdraft for the whole of my university life. It was crossing a threshold, really giving myself to materialism. And it's because it's such a big deal that Jesus speaks about it. This is a matter of the heart. It's a heart issue. When we talk about giving and money, it's a discipleship issue. It's a heart issue. You know, God isn't actually after your money. He is after your heart. It's not your money anyway. Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Everything. Everything is a gift. Everything belongs to him. It all belongs to him. So the question really is, how do you use it in a God-honoring way? How do you steward the resources you've been given responsibility for? How do you invest wisely those resources? See, here is, this is a jug and this is a glass. And I think Jesus wants us to be like a jug, not a glass. Because with a, a glass, you pour in a certain amount of water for you to consume. This is, for me, that's the end point of this resource. With a jug, it's different. Water gets poured into a jug in order to be poured out again into other places. To be poured in, poured out. Resources in, resources out. The jug is not the end point. It's not the final destination 
of those resources, and I believe that's what we are to be like. We're to be like jugs, resources in, resources out. The idea of us having money and having resources, however much or however little that might be, is to be a good steward, steward it well, use it wisely, and to give it away. To pour it out elsewhere, not just keep it all for ourselves. Now, before I carry on, let me give four caveats to what I'm saying today. Okay, Four important points to note. First, I know there are people here today who would dearly love to be able to give more financially. But you're constrained in that because your husband or wife is not a Christian. And that would just make things too, too difficult. It's too complicated. Listen, we get that. We really do get that. And we know actually you give in many other ways. You, you are very generous in many other ways in how you give yourself to this church. So this is not about feeling pressure. Please, if you're in that position, you are not to feel any pressure in the area of giving because it's about your heart and God sees your heart. He sees you. He sees your heart. That is what he's interested in. Second point, giving might be difficult for you if you're in debt. If you are in debt. And in that situation, what I'd say is, please make sure that you don't give in such a way that you increase your debt. Your giving should never be the reason for your debt. But this is about biblical stewardship. And as we're about to find out, that includes setting aside an amount for God in a planned way. Setting it aside for God. Depending on your situation and your debt, that might be a very, very small amount. But I still think it's important that you do give. It might be very small, but that's okay. Because it's about the heart and God will bless what you give. Best advice I can give you if you're in debt. And particularly if your debt is increasing, getting out of control, get help. Seek help. Because debt can be very complex, there can be many reasons behind it, but it can take over your life and overwhelm you. So seek help. We run a CAP centre here from this church, Christians Against Poverty Debt Relief Centre. If you're struggling with debt, the, the details are in the grapevine, in the new sheet. Please call that number. Seek help. Don't be too proud to get help with debt. Seek help on it, otherwise it will overwhelm you. Third point, the leadership of this church We don't know who gives and who doesn't give. We don't know out of those who give, we don't know who gives what. We just don't know. It's a long-standing principle, policy that we've had, and it's one that remains. We don't want to know who gives what. And the reason I say that is that, you know, this is not getting at particular people. You know, we're not sort of thinking, if we can just apply a bit of pressure to this person or that. No, it's not about that at all. We don't know what you give. God does. He knows what you give, so you may feel some pressure from him. And if you do, I suggest you respond to it. But it is between you and God what you give. So listen for what he is saying today. And fourth caveat, fourth point. Talking about giving last week, this week, doesn't mean that we're ungrateful for what you give. You've just given £80,000 at gift day. Phenomenal. You've just given £8,000 in addition to that to the relief effort in Nepal. It's amazing. This building is a testament to the generosity that is present in this church. So please don't think we're saying that there's a lack of generosity. But we do have to face the fact that currently there is a gap between the running cost of the church and that underlying foundation of regular giving. There is a gap. We don't want to be relying on gift days to be always catching up. We want gift days to be moving forward into particular projects, into particular areas. And as things stand now, we face a deficit And so we need to grow that underlying foundation of regular giving. Here's something we worked out recently. Here's a stat for you. 
if every adult in the church was able to give five pounds more per week, then we would be in surplus this year. That's the thought, isn't it? That's something to grasp hold of. Five pounds a week more, we would be in surplus. That's something very practical that we can actually do pretty immediately. But we do need to face the fact of that, of that deficit together. We also, though, need to teach on this because actually giving is as much a part of our Christian growth as anything else, as prayer, as reading the Bible, as growing in discernment, as growing in maturity. So we are also to continually grow in generosity and not stand still. It's a calling us to be generous. So how should we give? How should we give? Well, let's look first at 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, come up on the screen. Each man or woman should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is a vital context for everything I'm going to say today. For all of our giving, this is a context. This is about your attitude to giving. And this is why this isn't, last week, this week, cannot be, and it can never be, about just trying to squeeze as much money out of everybody as we possibly can. Because God is simply not interested in a gift given begrudgingly. He's just not interested in it. And there's no room for legalism here. You know, doing something, giving a certain amount to earn favor from the Lord. Or feel like paying your subscription fees to the church. No, that's, not, that's totally the wrong motivation for giving. So if you find yourself responding to anything I say today or the challenge we present later with a kind of big sigh, you say, oh, yeah. well, I suppose we better give that then. If we must. Listen, don't do it. Don't do it. It's a useless investment. It is a useless investment. God doesn't want or he doesn't need begrudging donations or legalistic subscription fees. He's after your heart. He's after people who delight to give, people who see it as a blessing and actually a privilege to give to the work of the church, the work of God's kingdom. What better investment could there be? But if that's not where your heart is, one, Please don't give begrudgingly. And two, ask God to change your heart. Because it is his intention for you to be generous in your giving. So ask him to change your heart. The heart issue that's at stake here is really whether you see God as a giver or as a taker. Do you see him as a giver or a taker? The heart that sees God as a taker is the heart that sees him as just constantly making demands on you, draining you, do this, live like this, don't do that, give money to the church, ignoring the fact that everything you have is a gift from God, and you can never outgive him anyway. You can never outgive God, because he gave himself as the ultimate gift, the most sacrificial gift ever given. He gave himself. That's why we give, isn't it? It's a response to that, to Jesus on the cross. But if the, the heart that sees God as a taker is a heart that wants to hold back, that wants to you know, not, not really think about how much you can give, but see how much you can keep for yourself. But the heart that sees God as a giver, that's a heart that delights in a relationship with God, a heart that receives God's grace just with stunned appreciation, stunned gratitude, and sees God as a bountiful, abundant, inexhaustible provider, blesser, helper, the one who gave everything for you. The heart that sees God as a giver is a heart that wants to give and give joyfully, give with abandon and share as much as possible rather than looking to keep as much as possible. Did you see God as a giver or as a taker? Do you love God 
Or do you love money? You can't do both. You just can't. God loves a cheerful giver. Don't give reluctantly. Don't give under compulsion. That is an essential context for everything that we're talking about and for all of our giving. But the question is, I guess, which everyone tries to grapple with is, what do you give? That's what it comes down to, isn't it? What do I give? How much should I give? Well, I guess there are many different giving styles represented in this room. If you can just put that slide up on the screen of the, the different giving styles. One giving style would be never given. See that? Not yet. Never given. I do hope, if that's you, there'll be various reasons for that, but that you can see it's not God's intention for you to remain there. He doesn't want you to remain in that place. It is important to make a start. start. Even if it's with a small amount, start on that road. Start on that journey of giving. Actually, and what you'll find is an adventure. It's an adventure of faith. Some give occasionally. So it might be sometimes when the basket comes around, you'll drop some money in there. Okay, if you, if you happen to have some money on you. Others will give um, regularly. So you think it's important that I give regularly to church. So maybe every week when the basket comes around, you know, you give. But again, it's not necessarily a planned amount. It's not a certain amount each time. It might just be, again, what you happen to have. But then you have proportional giving. That's giving that is regular in frequency. So it might be every week or it might be every month. But it's also regular in amount. And it's an amount that you have planned to give, an amount that you have set aside in proportion to your income. And one particular strand of proportional giving that you see out there, which some people will use, is tithing. Tithing means giving 10% of your income. It's 10% given regularly, given faithfully. And for most who tithe your income, that will be in response to a particular teaching that you've heard on this at one time or another. And then finally, you have beyond tithing, i.e. giving more than 10%. Thank you. All of those different giving styles will be represented in this room today. Well, I guess the key question is, what does the Bible tell us? That's where we should go, isn't it? Where, what does the Bible tell us? Let's go to 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 to 2. If Paul is talking about making a collection. So he says, now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So that saving up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. First day of each week, set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income. So this tells us a few things. First, is that your giving should be proportional to your income. That's, that is the right thing to do. That's the right approach. That's what Paul tells us to do. Your giving should be in proportion to your income, an amount set aside, and it should be planned, and it should be systematic. Okay? Not just when you feel like it, not just when you feel you have a little bit extra to spare. And notice also, Paul says, on the first day of every week, the first day, there's a principle which runs throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible, of giving your first fruits to God, the principle of first fruits. In the Old Testament context, that meant giving God the best of your crops, the best of your grain, the best of your animals, your livestock, and giving it to him before you benefit from it yourself. So the principle of first fruits says God gets the best and he gets the priority. In our context, that would translate to give when you get paid. Give when you get paid Set aside an amount, set aside a portion of that money to immediately give back into God's work, recognizing that it's all his anyway. The principle of first fruits would suggest that that would be before tax, it would be before living expenses, 
And it's an important question to ask. Does God get your first fruits, or does he get what is left? It's a massive difference in thinking. You know, give God this amount and then live off the rest, or live and then give God what is left. According to this, our giving should be the first thing to God, the first thing out of our bank accounts. So do you do that? Do you give him his first fruits, or does God get your leftovers? As I said before, some use tithing. That's giving 10%. Why tithing? Well, that's a, a, you see an example of it in Scripture. So uh, Abram gave 10% to Melchizedek. You see it in the law about tithing crops, about tithing. So there's, there's a general biblical principle of giving 10% which people will use. And it can be very useful because sometimes you grapple with, well, what, okay, give proportionally, but what proportion do I give? Well, okay, there's a biblical example, so I'm going to go for that. And a lot of people will do that. New Testament doesn't teach tithing, actually. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But let me just explore this a bit further, because here's an interesting thought. Please just indulge me on this for a minute. I was doing some very rough calculations the other day, uh, and they have to be rough because I don't know what everybody here earns. Um, The average salary in our area, in Wickham, surrounding area, is about £28,000. So if we assume that's also the average in the church, I know that's a big assumption to make, but let's... Let's go for this. And obviously, average salary means, of course, that that means some are not earning anything, some are earning significantly less, some will be earning significantly more than that. But let's assume an average of £28,000 in keeping with where we live. And on average, we get about 500 adults here on any Sunday morning. Again, that's actually significantly higher because not everyone is here every Sunday morning. But if we plump for the conservative market of 500 adults, on that basis, average £28,000 salary, 500 adults, if everybody gave 10%, or on average, it averaged out at 10%, the annual income for the church would be £1.4 million. That's without gift aid. That's more than double what our income is now with gift aid. With gift aid, who knows? It could be 1.7, 1.8, I don't know. I haven't worked that out. £1.4 million. And then you start dreaming about, you start dreaming about what the church could do. The significant impact that we could have in our town, in our social justice ministries, helping the poorest and neediest in High Wycombe, in finding other sites to establish a congregation, to bring the love of Jesus, to bring the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ to where people are, in expanding the outreach and discipleship ministries of the church. So we see many, many ordinary lives transformed into passionate followers of Jesus by the gospel. And you think of the impact we could have in a nation like Nepal. I was thinking about this the other day. You know, would there be, would we be able to buy some land and help build a new building? But not just that, but then also build housing around it. Really, a new community in Kathmandu. You start to dream. Do you know what? I think God encourages us to dream big dreams. He wants us to pray big prayers because you know what? He gives us a big vision and he gives us a vision that is a stretch for us and which inevitably means that we also have to stretch financially. Just think what we could do. Randy Alcorn again, he said, if Western Christians practice tithing, the task of world evangelism and feeding the hungry would be within reach. That's quite a thought, isn't it? As I said before, the New Testament doesn't teach tithing. Explicitly, it doesn't teach that. So what does it teach? Well, in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul is talking about the offering from the Macedonian church. The Macedonian church, they don't have a lot of money. 
He says this. He says, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Rich generosity. For I testify, Paul says, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. This They urgently pleaded for the privilege of giving. People who had nothing. These are people who get giving. They really get it. They really get generosity. And then Paul goes on in verse 7 to urge the Corinthians to excel in this grace of giving. Excel in your giving. Just as you would seek to excel in all these other things, excel in your giving. Get better and better and better at giving. Get more and more and more generous all the time. So what do we see? In addition to being proportional and systematic, our giving is to be radically generous and sacrificial. That's what the New Testament teaches us. Radical, sacrificial generosity. So the question is, what is generous for you? What is generous? Because you can't measure generosity in amounts. The person who gives 500 pounds a month to the church can't say to the person necessarily who gives 50 pounds a month to the church that I'm more generous than you. You just can't do that. You can't measure it in amounts. Because it's to do with your heart. It's to do with your circumstances. The Macedonians, we don't know how big the offering was. It doesn't tell us. Just that it was generous beyond their means. It might not have been very much at all. But it was incredibly generous. It's like Jesus watching the temple offering. Where he he watches uh, rich people putting their big sums of money in and probably making a show of it. And then the poor widow coming along with her two copper coins and puts that in. And he says to his disciples, she has put more in than all the rest. Because she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything, everything she had to live on. So you, you can't measure generosity by the amount. So for some here, actually giving, giving 5% of your income is radically generous in your circumstances. It is radically generous and actually may even be more generous than some in different circumstances tithing their income. Sharp intake of breath. Listen, if you tithe your income, thank you. Okay, please, I'm not having it. Thank you. But you see what I'm saying. You get the point. You can't measure generosity in, in that way. It's about the heart. It's about, it's about your circumstances. Giving is an act of grace done under grace. That is why we don't, that's why we don't go down the line of 10% as a rule, as a, a kind of a legalistic thing. Like, you know, that's the If you hit that, you, you're sorted. You've got it. No, no, no. And Neil said last week, you know, don't see that as a destination either. Giving is an act of grace and it is done under grace. We are free. We're completely free to give what we have decided in our hearts to give. But please don't ever use grace as an excuse for stinginess or for a lack of generosity or for not giving at all. You know what? Grace raises the bar. Of generosity. Once you realize, once you understand what you have been given in the grace of God, it raises the bar of generosity. So the question is, what is generous for you? What is radically generous and sacrificial for you? What sort of amount do you have faith for? Give in line with your faith and take a bit of a step of faith. Stretch your faith because when you do that, when you step out in faith, your faith tends to grow. So what is generous for you? That's something you have to work out between you and God. But today is really about encouraging us and challenging us all to grow in generosity and to grow in faith. 
Now, I guess the biggest reason that people would give for not giving in this way, for not giving proportionally, systematically, uh, generously and sacrificially, would be, I can't afford to. I can't afford it. I would really encourage you, I'd really urge you to examine your lifestyle, examine your stewardship, examine what you spend your money on. Because sometimes, sometimes, I can't afford it is really more a case of, actually, that's not my priority. Now, before people throw stones at me, I know that there are some here who are genuinely struggling to to cover the basic essentials of life. And for you, any gift is, is radically generous. A gift of five pounds, that is generous, okay? But please do give, because God will bless it. It's about your heart. But sometimes, people are trying to live a lifestyle, a certain lifestyle, without really having the means to be able to do it. The materialistic culture we live in means that luxuries become necessities. That's why I say examine where your money is going. Because if you're saying on one hand, I can't afford to give to God out of what is his anyway, and on the other hand, at the same time, you're spending, I don't know, 70 quid a month in order to have the best and latest mobile phone, there's something very wrong with that. That's a priority issue. It's not a poverty issue. That's not living the life of a disciple. That is living the life of a slave. That is being slavery to materialism. If those kind of expenses are stopping you from giving back to God, that's also the sort of thing which leads people into debt, actually. So examine what your stewardship. What if you do have the means, though? What if you can afford some of the luxuries of life? You have those, you have those resources. Look, and please, here, this is in no way, I'm in no way implying that there's anything wrong with that. There's anything wrong with enjoying some luxuries in life or that anybody should feel guilty for having more. Okay, this is not that kind of reverse snobbery prejudice thing. You know, not, not at all. That, it's not that at all. Nobody should feel guilty for having more, for having a, a, a nice car or a big house. We need people in the church with big houses. Okay? It's not about that at all. But I do think that giving and generosity is an even bigger challenge for those who are wealthy, whatever wealthy means in one sense we're all wealthy because it's the same question isn't it how you know what is generous for me but it's the same question but with a much bigger range of possibilities what is generous for you how can you be sacrificial in your giving how am I stewarding the resources that God has given me to some God gives a spiritual gift of generosity it's a spiritual gift the ability to make money in order to give it away but whether you have that or not I do think that with wealth comes great responsibility but again it is about listening to God what is he telling you it's about seeking to continually grow in generosity regularly reviewing what you give to check you are still in line with what God wants you to be doing Paul gave Timothy some advice in this area in 1 Timothy 6 17 to 19 he said command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so they may take hold of the life that is truly life. And I can think of people in this church who fit that perfectly have a lot of resources, 
and use them to bless others. You use them to bless the church. Let me just share a couple of examples, not to suggest you should do exactly the same, but to challenge us, to challenge all of us. So John Wesley founded the Methodist movement. He was part of a massive revival in the 18th century. He was a radical giver. I mean, (laughs) radical giver. He lived simply, just the absolute necessities. He lived by the principle of giving away as much as you can. So he decided to maintain his standard of living at the same level and give away everything else. Now, at that time, he earned £30. His living expenses were £28. That year, he gave away £2. As his earnings increased, he continued to live off £28. So when he earned £60, he gave away 32 more than half his income. When he earned £120, he gave away 92 What he would say, and this is very, very challenging, what John Wesley would say was, what should rise is not the Christian standard of living, but his standard of giving. And he did this his whole life, even when his income reached 1,400 pounds, he lived on 30. By the end of his life, John Wesley was giving away 98% of his income. That is radical. <laughs> That's radical giving. Rick Warren. Many of you will know Rick Warren. He's the author of The Purpose Driven Life, which is apparently the best-selling and most translated book in the world after the Bible. Rick Warren and his wife, Kay, are reverse tithers which means that early in the book's success, they decided to live off 10% of their income and give away 90% of their income. And, and you might say, well, that's easy if you're having that sort of money coming in from the sale of a, a best-selling book. Actually, I don't think it is that easy because I think we all understand how easily we get gripped by materialism and the love of money. I don't think it is that easy, even with that money coming in. But actually, the key to this is their heart. And it's the fact that earlier in their life, when they first got married... They had made a decision. They wanted to honor God with their giving. And they had made a decision that the way they were going to do that is by trying to stretch 1% more each year. So they started giving 10% the first year. Then they gave 11%. Then they gave 12% in the third year. And every time there was an increase, it was a big step of faith because they actually didn't have any money. They didn't have that sort of money then. This was before the success of the book. But God was proved faithful because they took a step of faith And God was proved faithful. And in doing so, their faith grew as well. And they proved their heart. It showed they were not tied to money and the love of money, but they were tied to the work of the kingdom. They proved trustworthy with little, and God entrusted them with much. Now, he doesn't do that with everybody, but he has with them. When you give your heart to God, when you give it all to him, when you acknowledge this is all yours anyway, when you give everything over to him, you will never, ever lack You will never be in lack. I mentioned earlier about the moment that I kind of crossed that threshold into materialism. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. You'll be pleased to know. Because immediately after university, I did a year with the church. I did time with kings here. And I was being paid the the princely sum of £4,000 for the year. And um, early on in the year, I was leading a Bible study on, um, on money. And somebody challenged me. said, well, do you give to the church? And, uh, and the answer was no. Um, and um, I had to kind of get my head around the concept of the church giving, paying me money and then giving it back to church. Of course, that was completely the wrong perspective because it's about my heart. It's about generosity. And so that challenged me. And I looked, in, I looked at Malachi 3 where God is talking to Israel about, um, about tithing. And one of the things God says in that passage is, test me in this. Test me in this and see if I won't pour out blessing upon blessing. So I thought, okay, I, I, okay. 
So I started tithing my income. I took him at his word, and I started tithing my income. That wasn't a lot of money. It, was a lot, it felt like a lot for me, but it was only 30 or 40 quid a month. But it totally changed my heart. Absolutely changed my heart. And I really did lack nothing. You see, I went through that year... I was paying rent, buying food, running a car. I even went on a ski trip, and I broke even because God provided. It was amazing. I, I, don't, I still look back. I think, how did that happen? I don't know. I came in with a certain level of overdraft, and I left with the same level of overdraft. I, just, I expected that overdraft was going to just continue to get bigger. God provided in amazing ways for me, and actually the overdraft was then gone in the next year. It was wiped out. Back into credit. And it set me on a road. That decision set me on a road in terms of an attitude to giving, an attitude to money that has been a source of huge blessing ever since. You know, skip forward to current day, you know, we don't have a lot of money. I work for the church. That's not the career you pursue if if you want to earn lots of money. Before that, I was in teaching. Again, what's wrong with me? You know? I work for a church, we have three children, that gets expensive, Suzanne's working part-time. We don't have a lot of money. Money is tight, but it's never, ever caused us to compromise on our giving. I've never, never thought, should we take a rest? Should we take a, a holiday like you can with your mortgage? Should we take a holiday from giving? No, and I don't say that to make myself look good and to think how, how holy I am. No, I say that to demonstrate that it genuinely has been a blessing for us, and we have honestly never been without anything we need. Want is different, isn't it? There are, of course, there are things that you would like at times that you can't have. But we've never been without anything we need. And even at times when I've looked at our budget and thought, this is looking a bit tight, I've, I, I can honestly say, except for a few fleeting moments, I can honestly say I've never worried, never worried about money. I have absolute confidence in God's provision. It's amazing how money can turn up. Because through somebody else, because God, God provides. And I, have, I believe I have that confidence in God's provision, and I have that lack of worry about money because of the decision to give. I believe it's directly linked to that, the decision to start giving. Generous giving really is a blessing. It really is a huge blessing. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. This is not prosperity teaching. Some people will use that in totally the wrong way. This is not, you know, if it was, well, what, I'm doing something wrong. This is not prosperity teaching. So what does it mean when it says, reap, you will reap, if you sow generously, you will reap generously? Well, sometimes that is through financial provision. Sometimes money does turn up. And as I said, God gives some a spiritual gift of generosity, ability to make money, to give it away. But look around you. This is the blessing. This is, the, this is the harvest of your giving and all those who are yet to come. This is the harvest of your giving. This is the harvest of your righteousness and your generous giving. What started with 10 people is now averages 650 people on a Sunday morning. And each one of those 650 people represents a life, a name, a story, a life that's been transformed, set free, healed, saved. Hundreds of others who have gone out from here are no longer here. They've gone out from here whose lives have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ through the activities and ministries of this church made possible by your giving. This is, this is the, the reaping. So much, reap much. This is the blessing 
right around you. And there are many, many more to come. God has many people in this town. People who are being set free from debt. People who are being set free from addictions. People who are being set free from hopelessness and being saved from hell through the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Your giving is an investment into eternity. It's an investment into eternal things. There can be no better investment of your resources. Andy Stanley says, when you begin to view your wealth from God's perspective, you'll see that the thing to fear is not giving away too much, but sowing too little. We're to be like jugs, not glasses. You are not the end point of the resources that come into you. We are to continually grow in generosity and grow in faith. Be generous in our giving. And when you take a step of faith, God is faithful. He is faithful. He will be proved faithful. And our faith grows, resulting in bigger hearts and more resources flowing into the work of God's kingdom. Test me in this, says the Lord. Test me in this. And that's exactly what we're going to invite you to do over the next three months. Test him and see what he will do. See how faithful he is. See what God will do if you take a step of faith.